We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, October the 24th. On today's show, I break down the Gamecocks game in Knoxville, Tennessee this weekend. Top storylines, keys to the game, key matchups to watch, what South Carolina must do to get a win against Tennessee, and much, much more. Also, have some news and notes to get to, including NCAA sanctions, what that means for South Carolina football, also the SEC's official response to the officiating blunders over the weekend. I'll talk about that in detail as well. Also, your listener questions, voicemails, and a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks offensive lineman Kyle Nunn that I'm sure you're going to enjoy. Before we get into all that, this is a podcast sent to you by your friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use, the only one that I'd recommend. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $20 off your first purchase. Guys, SeatGeek is by far the best ticket buying app. First of all, they've got tickets to literally everything. So it's a one-stop shop. If you're looking tickets for tickets to Gamecocks football, basketball, uh, concerts, comedy club events, it doesn't have to be sports, but any professional sporting events as well. I know for those of you in Charlotte, the NBA obviously starting with the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, you've got the World Series in case you want to catch one of those games for whatever reason. Uh, NHL, NBA, like I said, NFL, obviously, if you're going to any NFL games, they've got tickets to literally anything and everything you can think of. Again, they're the only ticket buying app that I use. They're super simple, super easy. I always know I'm getting the best bang for my buck. I, I honestly buy all my South Carolina football tickets through SeatGeek, and they make it so easy for me to know that I'm getting the best value for the money I'm spending. You go on there, they do all the work for you. They have a ticket rating system which rates the tickets based on the type of deal you're getting. So you can sort it by price or you can sort it by deal score, but you're always going to know that you're getting a good deal. You're not overpaying. You're not getting ripped off. You truly are getting the best bang for your buck. And that's going to give you that peace of mind before you click the buy button. I know it certainly does for me. So again, that's our friends at SeatGeek. Go down the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show, as always. Got a packed show for you guys. It is Tennessee week. Gamecocks traveling up to Knoxville this Saturday to take on the Vols in what is a very, very important game for both football teams, but I believe not just in this 2019 season, but for the trajectory of both of these programs. Uh, before I get into everything, just one quick note. If you could do me a favor, 
Click the pause button right now. Rate, subscribe, share, and download the Spurs Up show, whether you're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you're listening. Uh, if you haven't done so, go leave a review. Go leave a five-star review. Go leave your feedback, your thoughts. It obviously helps people find the show that don't know about it. And it just helps boost up the Spurs Up show. helps boost up the podcast. Also, if you're not subscribed, it kind of blew my mind that to think there are people that are listening to the show that maybe aren't subscribed to the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Then you'll have every episode pop up for you. You won't have to go search or even see it on social media. Hit the subscribe button. Leave a review. Really, really do appreciate. Really appreciate. Really appreciate. Really appreciate all you guys that tune in each and every day, each and every week. Really, really means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Uh, all right, again, let's talk Tennessee. Gamecocks heading to Knoxville, 4 o'clock kickoff on the SEC Network. Uh, South Carolina in this one. Already talked on uh, yesterday about the best bet and things, but South Carolina only a four-point favorite in this one. Over-under set at 47. Um, I know that line is very, very interesting. Obviously, Gamecocks a road favorite. Uh, but only a four-point favorite. The series history, Tennessee leads it overall 25-10-2, but the Gamecocks have really had Tennessee's number in this decade. Six and three this decade, looking to make it seven and three. Obviously, we know the struggles of Tennessee football. Tennessee football, it feels like for the longest time, it just has just been in the gutter, and South Carolina has been able to take advantage of that for sure. Uh, last time they met, obviously, last year, South Carolina won a thrilling game, 24-21 to at Williams-Brice Stadium, a come-from-behind victory. I'm sure we all remember a crazy night game. Uh, South Carolina did get the win, though, 24-21. Injury report, only major thing. Rico Dowdle confirmed out for Saturday's game. So, Tavian Feaster will be RB1, getting the majority of the carries. I would expect Mon Denson to get some carries as well. But uh, it'll be Tavian Feaster's game. And we saw what he could do against Florida, and I expect to have another good game. But uh, you hope it's nothing serious and that Rico will just be out this week as more of a precautionary thing, and he'll be back ready to go for Vanderbilt. But Rico Dowdle confirmed out by head coach Will Muschamp on Wednesday afternoon. Um, Breaking down the Vols just a little bit, obviously Jeremy Pruitt, their head coach, Tennessee this year, it's been a struggle. Two and five overall, losses to Georgia State, BYU, Florida, Georgia, Alabama. Who can forget that opening day loss to Georgia State that really shocked, uh, you know, I don't know about shocked the college football world, but certainly shocked us that are familiar with the Tennessee football program. Uh, wins over Chattanooga and Mississippi State. I will say Tennessee coming on as of late. Uh, they beat Mississippi State two weeks ago, hung in there with Bama for a while, which I think Really, really surprised a lot of people. Granted, Bama did not have Tua Tunga by low over the entire second half of the football game, so I think that probably had something to do with it. But uh, Tennessee looking better than they had. We'll put it that way, which what does that really mean? I don't know. But either way, Tennessee right now sitting at 2-5, and five, a team desperate for a win. Um, I think a team that still has bowl aspirations on its mind and obviously trying to build a program and trying to get better under Jeremy Pruitt. And you know the Tennessee Volunteer fan base is restless and you know, I think this is going to be a desperate team. How could you not be desperate sitting at two and five overall? Uh, all right, let's get into the top storylines in this game because I think there's a lot to talk about when South Carolina and Tennessee take the field. It feels like every single year. Uh, but a lot of storylines going to this one. We're going to start at the quarterback position. Tennessee's quarterback situation, it looks like Brian Maurer will be out with concussions. Uh, it's been a, first off, it's been a mess at the quarterback position for Tennessee. Uh, but Brian Maurer, a guy they've been playing a lot, that Tennessee fans I think are really high on. He will be out for Saturday's game. I think he's had two concussions over the last two weeks, and there's just no way he can go. Uh, Maurer on the season, though, 27 for 55. He has, let's see, two touchdowns, five interceptions. Um, you know, I think the question for Tennessee and for South Carolina fans is, who's going to be the quarterback? Will it be Jarek Garantano? Will it be JT Shrout, the third stringer? I'm shocked at how bad Jarek Garantano has been this year, by the way. 
I know a lot of people were hyping him up to be, you know, he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. He's going to take this huge step forward this year. And, I mean, he's gotten benched. He's gotten replaced by a backup. Uh, Garantano's number, 74 for 121, eight touchdowns, four picks. But, you know, he, he's been bad. He's really played poor football for Tennessee. And I think, I think it's really interesting. I don't know that it matters for South Carolina as far as defensively who plays. I mean, I feel confident either way about South Carolina's defense going up against whichever quarterback takes the field for Tennessee. But I think it's just interesting. Do they go with Garantano? Do they go with Shroud? Are we going to see both? I would imagine that both are going to play because I don't think Jarek Garantano's done anything to keep himself on the field. Now, if he played well on Saturday, he might get the majority of the snaps. But I would fully expect South Carolina's going to see both quarterbacks. But, yeah, Tennessee with a mess, with a mess behind center, um, especially with Brian Maurer being out for them this Saturday. So Gamecocks going to get a full dose of either Jarrett Garantano and JT Shrout. Which guy will it be? Who knows? But I don't know that it really changes the Gamecocks defensive game plan, but I think you should expect to see multiple quarterbacks on Saturday from Tennessee. Um, another big storyline for me in this game, is this another game that goes down to the wire? Listen to this stat. <clears throat> this, this stat is crazy. Since 2012, in this South Carolina-Tennessee rivalry, if you will, or this game, these have been the margins of victory since 2012. Three, two, three, 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 six, three. I mean, this game is always close, always down to the wire, nail-biter, for whatever reason. And it's funny, the six-point win, <clears throat> the six-point win, you'll remember, was a game up in Knoxville where Tennessee had the ball on the one-yard line, and it felt like they ran 20 plays in like seven seconds. But had the ball on the one-yard line with a chance to win, and obviously Chris LeMond's batched the pass away to Gamecocks at the W. But, I mean, that one certainly could have gone either, <laughs> either way. So it's crazy how close these games are. You know, I see a lot of South Carolina fans that feel, you know, Tennessee's terrible and South Carolina should get a blowout win. You know, I've seen people picking 42-17 to 17 and – 42 to 20 and I, I I just you know I just caution the South Carolina fan that's thinking that because for whatever reason doesn't matter what level these two programs have been on where they've been at how good South Carolina's been or how bad Tennessee's been these games seem to always be close for whatever reason and I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing the line so low at South Carolina only a four-point favorite in this football game I think Vegas is probably you know factoring in I mean and you also think the Gamecocks going to Knoxville a place they've only won three times in their entire history, 2005, 2011, and 2017. So it's a place that has not been kind to South Carolina. Um, and I just wonder if that trend is going to continue this year. Do we finally see that trend uh, go away? Because, it's again, it's crazy. I mean, you know, you think, I mean, South Carolina and Tennessee in the last couple of years, I would say, have been fairly even. But, I mean, we're talking even 2012 – you know, 2013, one of I mean, who can forget the Marquez North catch? Um, but, I mean, years where Tennessee was bad. I mean, hell, 2015 when South Carolina was bad. This game is always close for whatever reason. I just wonder if we're in for another down-to-the-wire down type game on Saturday as well. Um, another thing for me that I'll be watching, and I think a massive storyline going in this week, Ryan Holinsky and this passing game as a whole – how does Ryan Holinsky bounce back? Because obviously, you know, we've seen him. We saw him struggle against Florida. Uh, was certainly not his best day, missing a ton of deep shots and really just never seemed comfortable in that football game. And I think it's been really a mixed bag with Ryan Holinsky. You know, he took over Charleston Southern, was obviously great against those guys. And Alabama, we saw some flashes. Missouri, 
Was he hurt? Was he not? Obviously did not play his best football. And since then, again, Kentucky was sort of hit or miss. The running game really carried South Carolina in that one. I thought he was phenomenal in Athens until he got hurt. Um, and then, like I said, Florida didn't play all that great. But can he bounce back? Can South Carolina get back on the right side of things as far as the passing game? Because like I talked about to you guys on Monday's show, South Carolina's going to have to throw the football to win. They're just going to have to throw it well. Um, you know, I think the Gamecocks, if they can even get somewhat of a passing game going on Saturday, there is a good chance they buck the trend of the really close games and South Carolina can pull away in this one. I mean, I have to imagine Ryan Holinsky's got to hit one or two of those deep balls that he missed on last Saturday against Florida. You just think he'd have to. I mean, it just, you know, being on the road, I, I, I'm curious, again, to see the way that he plays, the way he handles the environment. But just overall, in this passing game, what does South Carolina do offensively from a game plan standpoint to make sure this passing game gets in rhythm. I think you're going to see a lot of shorter intermediate routes, a lot of easy completions early on for Ryan Holinsky to get the confidence up. And then I think you are going to see deep shots again because I think South Carolina knows it has guys on the outside they can win matchups with, with Brian Edwards, Shai Smith, you know, Josh Van, and then those guys, the rest of those guys. South Carolina knows it has matchups it can win on the outside, and I fully expect the Gamecocks to keep taking deep shots. But can Ryan Holinsky have a bounce-back game himself and just play better, just flat-out play better and make plays? I mean, that, that's going to be something for the South Carolina fan to watch because we need to continue to see Ryan Holinsky to develop. Because, I mean, again, you know, the rest of your schedule, I mean, after this, you know, I know you have Vandy, App State, which don't sleep on Vandy. They just beat Missouri, and App State is ranked. So no need to sleep on either of those teams. But, you know, if you're trying to go to College Station and win, if you're trying to pull a massive upset at home beat Clemson, you're going to have to have a passing game. I mean, there's just no question. So, do we see some progression? Do we see a bounce-back day from Ryan Helensky in that passing game on Saturday? Should be very interesting to see. Uh, another thing, speaking on the quarterback position, uh, another storyline for me is, will we see the carry-on joiner? Um, you know, I was very surprised he didn't play against Florida. Um, I will tell you this, though. If the Gamecocks come out and cannot throw the football any better than they did last week, why would you not throw Dak Joyner in there at least for a series or two? Maybe you kind of clear Ryan Linsky's mind a little bit, you know, get him right, and use the athleticism of the carry-on Joyner to move the football downfield. Because I fully expect South Carolina to come out, do what they've done, be who they are, lean on the running game, you know, lean on Tavian Feaster. I mean, heck, we saw Feaster last week carry it 25 times for 175. Looked phenomenal. I fully expect to see him get the ball a ton again on Saturday. But – if the passing game is struggling again, why not get a guy behind center who's more dynamic, can beat you with his legs, can throw here and there if he has to? Um, I think maybe he's even a little bit better of a passer than we're all giving him credit for. But at least he gives you that dynamic threat at the quarterback position. And like I said, I'm not saying for him to take over the starting job or take over the game, but at least just mix him in there and put a wrinkle in and make Tennessee think a little bit and maybe just change up the flow of the game if needed to get Ryan Holinsky back on track. I'm just curious to see, though, will they use him at all? Because, again, I was shocked he didn't play against Florida. Um, you know, for whatever reason, he didn't see the field. But do we see Dak Joyner on Saturday? Can he make an impact for South Carolina? And if things aren't going the way they want in the passing game, can he be sort of that, that spark plug that gets this offense going? I'll be very interested to see that. Um, another big storyline for me, and maybe this isn't something I should even be talking about or looking at, but, you know, there's been a lot of talk this week. <clears throat> There's been a lot of talk this week about the refs and the, the, the bad job that the refs did. Obviously, the SEC releasing a statement on Wednesday afternoon that I'm going to get to a little bit later in the show. But, uh, 
you know, South Carolina fans obviously have been very loud and vocal and complaining on social media all throughout the week. I mean, even going into Thursday morning, fans are complaining. And, you know, I understand. I get it. South Carolina got jobbed in a couple of plays. I understand. Me, personally, I'm over it. I'm looking to the Tennessee game. I'm ready for South Carolina to get back on the field and get a W. My question is, has this team moved on from what happened last Saturday? And, again, I think it's a stupid question because why would this team even care? I mean, this team has got knows it has another football game and a very important football game. But it just kind of worries me because the mindset of the fan base, I'm hoping and praying, and I don't think so, that that mindset has almost leaked into how the team is thinking about this football game. Are they going to have their full focus on the Tennessee game, ready to play their best football and go get a W despite what the refs do, what the refs did last Saturday? Or do they somehow let that loss linger and let Florida beat them twice, if you will? Um, I don't think so. Again, I think this team will be locked in, ready to go. But I think it is a storyline. I think it is something to keep an eye on, uh, how this team approaches this game, the way they come out. Are they able to start fast? Are they able to – you know, create a rhythm, get in their game, and like I said, get a huge win uh, in a game that's really, I really think is important for the state of the program. Um, another storyline for me, defensive game plan. Just what is the, I, you know, I talked about this a little bit earlier with the quarterback thing, but what is the defensive game plan for the Gamecocks? Uh, like I said, I'm still a full believer uh, in this defensive line, really in this defensive unit. I, you know, I, I think South Carolina, since Will Muschamp took over calling the plays for the defense, this defense has looked completely different, um, has looked like the unit we all thought it should be. Um, and South Carolina's looked very aggressive. You know, I, I'm curious, the defensive game plan, I think the Gamecocks need to stay aggressive, attack the, you know, load the box. You know that Tennessee's going to try to hand it off and run it with Ty Chandler and get their running game going as well. Um, I say you load the box and make a <clears throat> a bad Jarrett Garantano or a JT Shrout beat you with their arm. You know, uh, you, you've got to load the box and don't let Ty Chandler – rattle off four, five, six yards per carry. Um, because, you know, a running game can make a lot of quarterbacks look good, even not quarterbacks that aren't very good. And I would put both Jared Garantano and J.T. Shrout in those categories. But how does South Carolina attack Tennessee defensively? You know, do they try to play man on the outside? Are they going to stick to more of a zone scheme? Are you going to see eight, nine guys in the box? That's what I would do personally. Uh, you know, Jawan Jennings is the only guy really that scares me on the outside for Tennessee. And you've got a J.C. Horn or Israel McClellan to lock down on him and go one-on-one. And that's a guy I, tr- I think you trust to go one-on-one. Um, but I expect South Carolina to stay aggressive. You know, I think Will Muschamp will have a great game plan called up on the defensive side. Uh, and I think you're going to see a Gamecocks team flying around the football and playing really, really aggressively on Saturday. Um, final storyline before we get into the key matchups. Just the importance of Saturday's game. You know, I talked before the season, the biggest three-game stretch of this 2019 season, in my opinion, was Georgia-Florida-Tennessee. And the reason that I said that is that I thought it would give you a great gauge as far as where you are in the SEC East pecking order. Now, I know you lost to Missouri early in the season and there in the East. I get that. But Georgia-Florida and Tennessee, even with as bad as Tennessee is, you look at those three teams and say those are the three traditional powers in the SEC. And for the longest time now, it feels like forever, South Carolina's been ahead of Tennessee football. Believe it or not, Tennessee fans, you don't want to hear it. It's the truth. I mean, Gamecocks are 6-3 and three against Tennessee this decade. It's no secret. Gamecocks have had way more success than this decade than Tennessee has. Um, but, yeah, my, I said my biggest three-game stretch was Georgia-Florida-Tennessee. The Gamecocks are one and one right now. Obviously got the one win I don't think any of us expected to get. You know, the loss to Florida, I could have seen coming before the season. No, no doubt. 
Tennessee's the game you got to have, man. And I feel like we say that every single week. But this Tennessee game, man, this just feels one like, I'll be completely honest, and maybe this is harsh and maybe this is overreaction, but if you lose this football game, you damn near erase most, if not all the good things that you did in Athens a couple weeks ago. This game to me is that important. South Carolina needed to go two and one in the stretch of Georgia, Florida, Tennessee. You've got the opportunity to do so. You have the opportunity to do so. And if you can do that, I feel really good about where this South Carolina football program is headed and the progress and where it sits in the SEC East. But you cannot afford to fall behind a program like Tennessee. You just cannot. South Carolina and Tennessee are battling for recruits every single day. And, you know, I know South Carolina is ahead of Tennessee football right now, but they're pretty damn close. I mean, you know, I, they're they're both in the same like you know the they're both in the same category if you will they're not they're not top tier elite they're also not bottom dwellers they're kind of in that middle trying to find themselves trying to make progress take that next step as a program and you cannot allow yourself to lose to Tennessee and give Tennessee the leg up on you again I think you get the win you go two and one in that three game stretch that I talked about will be huge for the program. It'll be great for South Carolina as far as feeling good about where you sit in the SEC East, um, knowing that, you know, you can compete and you can win. You already beat Georgia, which is great, but you got to continue to build that momentum and to make progress. And a game like this, a swing game on the road, is, is the type of game that just simply put, again, South Carolina needs to win, to continue to progress as a program. You know, again, not just in the SEC East, but the overall <clears throat> SEC landscape and – just the entire trajectory of this football program under Will Muschamp. You've got to find a way to get a win against the Tennessee team on the road and continue to progress the program. And, again, you know, I don't want to overreact, but a loss to Tennessee will be detrimental. It would be detrimental to go to Knoxville and lose, again, in a game that you are favored against a program that you feel like you're much better than. I mean, again, Tennessee is 2-5. and five. Tennessee's 2-5. and five. They're not a good football team. I know the games have always been close, and it's sort of a scary game going to Knoxville, but – Tennessee's not a good football team, man. So, again, I think for the three-game stretch I talked about, for the 2019 season itself, and for the trajectory of this entire football program, this South Carolina-Tennessee game has got a lot riding on it for the future of South Carolina football. So, should be interesting. Uh, all right, cool. Let's get to the key matchups to watch. I'll start with the defensive side of the football. I've got defensive back J.C. Horn against wide receiver Jawan Jennings for the Vols. I told you guys, Jawan Jennings really – the biggest outside threat that not worries me, but that I'm going to be keeping an eye on, Juwan Jennings, a really good big-bodied wide receiver, has 478 total yards this year, five touchdowns. Obviously, Gamecock fans, we all know and are familiar with J.C. Horn. I think you're going to see both J.C. and Israel McQuamu lock up on Jennings. Again, Jennings, a really big guy. I think stands at like 6'2", 6'3". Uh, big-bodied dude, though, really good with the ball in his hands, can make plays. And he's obviously going to be trying to help whoever's under center for Tennessee. I think he's probably going to be their best friend. Like I said, the defensive game plan, does South Carolina stick more to zone or do they let a guy like J.C. Horn go man-to-man? I would love to see that. I think J.C. can more than hold his own. I think McCormick can as well. Uh, but this is going to be a big matchup because if you can take away Jawan Jennings, you're really, really going to limit what Tennessee can do in the passing game. There's no question about that in my mind. Um, so, again, J.C. Horn against Jawan Jennings, I think will be a big matchup to watch on the outside. And I think it's going to be two guys – that are probably going to be playing on Sundays and making the big bucks in a few years. Should be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, my second key matchup to watch, 
Quarterback Ryan Halinski against strong safety Nigel Warrior. Nigel Warrior for Tennessee, a really good football player, leads the team with three interceptions. Obviously, I already talked about Ryan Halinski and the inconsistencies in the passing game. Can they bounce back? Ryan Halinski going to need to have a good day looking off defenders, making the right reads, because if he does not, Nigel Warrior will be there waiting in the wings to pick the football off. A guy that has great instincts, a great knack for the ball, seems to always be flying around and always be where the ball is. He's also a great tackler and a big hit type of guy. But Ryan Halinski obviously going to need to do a really good job, first off, just making the right read. Um, <clears throat> I think that's a given. But second off, using his eyes to look off Warrior. Look him off, especially if you're taking those deep shots. You want to get him off the ball, off the route you're throwing to. Ryan Hunt's going to need to use that God-given ability in his arm and obviously in his quarterback, uh, quarterback awareness to look Warrior off, kind of play games with him a little bit. It's going to be a chess match, if you will, but I think a, a really good, fun, uh, fun matchup to watch. I think you're going to see again. I think South Carolina is going to go back and take deep shots again, man. I hope there's more – kind of more rhythm to it and more of a feel to it and not so much like we feel like we're run, run, pass, run, run, pass, because a lot of times it kind of felt that way last week. Um, but, to, yeah, Ryan Linsky going to need to have a bounce-back game, play his best game, because if he does not, Nigel Warrior will be there <laughs> waiting on the pass to come through. So, again, quarterback Ryan Linsky against strong safety, Nigel Warrior, I think a big one to watch. And then my final key matchup to watch in this game, linebacker T.J. Brunson against running back. Ty Chandler, uh, obviously T.J. Brunson, really, I think, the leader for the Gamecocks on defense. And Ty Chandler, really good running back for Tennessee and a really good running back in the SEC. Probably a guy you haven't seen much of because Tennessee has just been so bad as a football team. But Ty Chandler, a guy that is a workhorse type of back, can be that back for Tennessee, and I think will be that back on Saturday, that you're going to see them hand the football off a lot. They're going to try to get the running game going, force the issue, take pressure off of their quarterbacks. Ty Chandler are going to get the majority of those carries. And a guy like T.J. Brunson, and really you could throw Ernest Jones in the same category. The Gamecocks linebackers just needing to have a good game on Saturday, I think, to stop and plug the run game uh, on Saturday. Because, again, I fully expect Tennessee to run the football early often to try to open up some passing lanes for whether it's Jaron Garantano or J.T. Shrout, whoever it might be. Again, Ty Chandler, a guy that – you know, he gets an open space, he can break one. Um, a guy that is a real tough runner as well. Uh, so I think the Gamecocks are going to need to bring their lunch pails, be physical, and again, plug the running game. So, you know, you make it as hard as possible on those young quarterbacks and, uh, you know, Jarrett Garantano to, uh, to make throws and move the offense. So again, linebacker TJ Brunson against running back Ty Chandler. Uh, key matchups to watch again, J.C. Horn against Juwan Jennings, Holinsky against Warrior, and TJ Brunson against Ty Chandler, three matchups, I think, go a long way in deciding this football game. Uh, let's talk keys to the game here. Keys to the game, I'll start with my first one. My, it's pretty simple. Start fast. You know, I, I talked about earlier, you know, the entire refs thing and the fans still talking about it into Thursday. You know, how does this team respond to what happened last week? Are they over the game? Are they over what happened last week? I want to see a South Carolina team that comes out quick, punches Tennessee in the mouth, Take the crowd out of it. I know there's been a lot of jokes on social media that Tennessee won't be able to get fans in the stadium. You know, either way, I, <clears throat> I fully expect Tennessee to have a pretty decent crowd on Saturday. Take them out of the football game. A team like Tennessee that you feel like you're better than, period. You just feel like you're a better football team. You need to assert your dominance from the beginning. Don't let this become a fourth quarter game. Don't even give Tennessee – don't even let Tennessee think they've got a chance in this football game. Come out, put your foot on their throat, and don't let up. Do not let up. Because, again, I think this is a very fragile Tennessee team right now. Again, you're 2-5. and five. The season is teetering on being lost for the Vols. And if you can come out and hit them, boom, 10 nothing, 17 nothing, 21 nothing, whatever you do, 
I think you can crush their will. I think you can crush their will and their want to to play. Um, and I think if the Gamecocks can start fast, I know they have the ability to obviously started very fast against Florida last week. Um, but I think coming out on the road, especially starting quickly is always an advantage. So again, start fast for me, a very, very key or a very big key for the Gamecocks in this one. My second key to the game for South Carolina, protect the football. In a game like this on the road, again, I know you're favored, but it feels almost like a coin flip type of game with the low spread. Turnovers are going to be monumental in this game. The way you get beat and you lose on the road in the SEC and get upset, if you want to call it that, is turning the ball over. Like I said, you don't want to give Tennessee any hope or a chance to even think they should be in this football game. If you hand the ball to them, if you fumble the football, you throw interceptions, that is a huge spark plug. We all know. We've all seen it happen. So, I think the Gamecocks need to be smart. I thought they did a pretty decent job of it, honestly, last week, protecting the ball. Obviously, the, the one blunder with uh, Ryan Holinsky, which I know I don't feel like we talked about that play enough as far as, like, what was going on in that play. But, uh, that you know, that was the one blunder, I thought. And then I, I thought it was a pretty clean game the, the, the rest of the way. But protecting the football at, at all costs, not giving it up, the team that wins the turnover battle and normally wins the football game, I think it'll be the same story on Saturday. Gamecocks need to win the turnover battle. Obviously, get a couple of their own. But Ryan Holinsky, that running game, playing smart, you know, be, being disciplined, um, and taking care of the football. Going to be a huge thing on Saturday. And then my final key to the game, simply put, Ryan Holinsky. Just period. Ryan Holinsky. Um, you know, it, what's crazy is I think even if he does not play his best again, South Carolina can still win this football game, again, as long as he takes care of the football at least. For South Carolina to be the team that it wants to be moving forward, not just in this game moving forward, Ryan Holinsky's got to play better, period. Period, point blank, he's got to play better. He'll tell you that. The coaching staff will tell you that. The team will tell you that. Fans, everyone, everybody knows it. It's not a knock. It's just simply put, he's got to play better because he has the ability. We've all seen it. Um, but I think Ryan Holinsky is a huge key in this game and obviously a huge key to the rest of the season. You know, great quarterback play can mask a lot of other deficiencies. If your running game's not having their best day, maybe your O-line's not having its best day, or, you know, your defense is struggling a little bit. If you have a great quarterback, he's going to give you a chance in every football game. And I think the Gamecocks, you know, you can see that maybe that convincing win that fans are looking for on Saturday. But Ryan Holinsky's going to have to play better. The passing game is going to have to be better on Saturday. There's no other way to put it. There's no way to sugarcoat it. Ryan Holinsky, a massive key, not just in this game, but the rest of the season. He needs to get back on track. I think he's got a great opportunity to do so on Saturday. But he needs to get back to, you know, the Ryan Holinsky we saw in the first half at Athens. I mean, we need to see him have that bounce-back type performance. I think he can. I think he will. But until we see it, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. So, again, my keys to the game. Start fast, protect the football, and then the play of Ryan Linsky. Uh, my prediction for Saturday's game, if you want to hear my prediction, tune in tomorrow. That's one change I'm adding to the, uh, the show. Obviously, you guys know I'm doing the daily shows. I will have my full prediction, break down the game a little bit more, but my full prediction tomorrow on Friday, October the 25th, show and I'm gonna start doing that every single week so kind of leave you guys on a cliffhanger if you want to hear my prediction for the game tune in tomorrow morning we'll have the prediction up um and very very excited again I will say I feel good about this one um you know I think South Carolina with the opportunity to make a big statement on the road but again you want to hear my prediction tune in tomorrow promise you it will be 
it will be everything you could ask for and hope for and more in my opinion. So should be a lot of fun. Uh, let's get into some news and notes and we'll get into listener questions. I want to start obviously with this NCAA stuff, Gamecocks. Everybody asked me, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? Here's all you need to know. A former assistant coach sent some texts to a recruit when he wasn't supposed to. I don't know if South Carolina turned themselves in. I don't know if somebody else ratted on them. I think they probably turned themselves in. Either way, what does it really mean? Nothing. To be honest, I mean, there's no bowl ban, no postseason ban. The effects are felt in things that fans really can't see. I mean, they're recruiting, you know, you're slapped for recruiting stuff, but nothing the typical fan's going to notice. So I think that's the good news for us. Obviously, again, I mean, a bowl ban or at a po- it would be devastating. Postseason bans, that's awful. None of that. We're fine. The NCAA stuff, it sucks. Obviously, getting a level two violation, it sucks. Um, everybody's blaming the former assistant coach, which I don't, I don't, I don't think I don't have any problem with that. I think is everybody's saying it's, uh, I'm not going to say his name on the show, but I think it's probably, uh, probably rhymes with Fance Thompson, probably rhymes with Fance Thompson. Um, you can kind of add two and two together from there. And either way, Gamecock should be okay. Gamecock fans settle down. I know it sucks, especially when it feels like Clemson up in the upstate is getting away with literally bloody murder and nobody's saying a damn word about it. And we get slapped for text. Either way, whatever. It sucks to suck, I guess. But we're going to be fine. South Carolina football will be fine. Um, One other thing before I get into the listener questions. The SEC gives their official response to the officiating blunders and said nothing. (laughs) Said nothing. They literally said nothing. It was a waste of time. Like, I don't know why they even felt the need to put that damn response together. It wasn't a response. It was just a reiteration of – these are our procedures. We've done this, this, and this to allow people to see how tough it is to make calls. It was more of a defending of what they do. And it was a defense of the calls that were made. Again, I'm over the referees thing. Like, I'm tired of talking about it. I really want to move ahead and move forward and look at Tennessee. But one, how long it took the SEC to make a statement. <coughs> and two, the lack of clarity, transparency, and just pure response to the actual events that happen on the field, just unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It's hard to fathom. It was hard to fathom. So, I don't know. The SEC, screw you guys, I guess. I don't know. It, it just, I'm pissing. It's starting to piss me off just talking about it. That's why I'm over it. <laughs> All right, let's get into some listener questions. Have a couple of voicemails, and then we'll get into listener questions, and we'll get to our interview. Hey, Chris. I know you probably got about 10,000 questions in your voicemail right now, but what the hell was going on with the officiating crew? I mean, come on, man. I'll start holding that 14 points. And I'm sick and tired of people running around here saying that, oh, yeah, we didn't win. You know, we, we should have played harder. No. How can how in the hell can you win when you got the referees not calling those type of calls? That's 14 points. So what's the true score in this game? I just like your opinion on that. I appreciate the voice, man. Again, another referee question. Yeah, I, I, I get the frustration, 100%. The pick play to me, I'm not quite as – I mean, it's still a, – it's a horrible – it's a horrible no call. But Florida was already down there on, like, the one-yard line. I mean, they probably – they're going to score either way. The one <coughs> – the one that really ticks me off and to me changes the football game is that 75-yard, 70-yard, whatever, 
miss false start and a no call on the hold. Because, you know, people can say, oh, well, Florida probably would have scored that. That's an assumption they would have scored in that drive. They, they were not in the red zone. South Carolina could have easily gotten a three and out. You know, you call the false starts first and 15. Like, you never know. You know, the other one with the pick play, they're going to score either way. Even if you just give them a field goal, whatever, they still win the game. But the hold was just a terrible, just a missed call, just a terrible missed call. And then you missed the false start, too. And that one, to me, was the one that really set me off because it's like, dude, that's a game. I mean, that's just – we all know college football is so momentum. It's such a big momentum thing. Let's assume Florida doesn't score. Hell, it's 20 to 10 South Carolina going to the fourth quarter. <clears throat> you don't think that score gives South Carolina a better chance to win the game? It's just from a, from a pure momentum perspective. I mean, from a pure momentum perspective. So, again, it happened. It's water under the bridge. Would it have changed the game? Who knows? But we'll, we'll never know, unfortunately. So, just kind of is what it is. Hey, Chris, this is Jonathan from Greer, South Carolina. Uh, first of all, I just love the show. Um, and I appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to the daily podcast. Um, I just have one question. I've been listening to the podcast and uh, thinking about it. And every week recently, it seems like we're talking about how the passing game needs to improve. Um, so my question is, did we overhype? Ryan Holinsky, after he had two good games to start his career at South Carolina, or are maybe our expectations a little too high for a true freshman? Uh, it kind of seems, I, mean, I don't have the stats or anything in front of you, but kind of seems like he's on the trend like Jake Bentley. You know, he comes in, his first game, he leads it to a win. Everybody thinks he's the next great South Carolina quarterback. Then he comes to his senior year, and he, we realize he's nothing more than, you know, kind of a mediocre quarterback. And, by the end of the first game of his senior year, of course, he has the broken foot, but most people just want him on the bench anyway, even if he wasn't hurt. So, uh, just want to get your thoughts. Feel like maybe we have overhyped Winsky, or maybe we are expecting to. All right, Jonathan, appreciate the voice, man. All the way, all the way up in Greer, South Carolina. Appreciate you calling in, man. Um, so, you asked, is it, have we overhyped? Ryan Holinsky, or are the expectations too high? I think it's a mix of both, honestly. I just, you know, I, I think, obviously, the, the expectations are very more crazy, right? And, I mean, you know, expectations are a good thing. It means you're good. It, it means, you know, you have, you know, these aspirations, and, you know, you see the potential. I mean, that's a good thing. But, you know, I, I think Ryan Holinsky, you take a look at him right now. Um, I don't think he was overhyped necessarily. I mean, the kid is a true freshman. Like, let's let's throw that out there. And like I said, if if he doesn't get hurt at Georgia, he was having a phenomenal game. So I think what you're seeing is what's typical of a freshman. It's a mix. It's just a mixed bag. You're seeing you've seen some really really good plays. You've seen some plays where he didn't like. He really knew what he was doing. Um, and I again, it's I'll be curious. You know, it's one thing to struggle against a Florida who's got a really, really good defense. I know people don't want to give Florida credit, but they've got a ton of talent all over their team, but especially on the defensive side of the ball. They're big, fast, physical, always flying around. Florida always seems to have a good defense for whatever reason. Can he have that bounce back? <clears throat> Can he have that bounce back, though, against Tennessee? That's going to be the big one to me. Um, coming back, you know, being able to throw the football, lead your team against a team that you should, again, you should be able to have some success against. Um, so, you know, it's 
the whole Jake Bentley comparison is very funny. I mean, I've heard that more than once. You know, people saying that, you know, Jake started out fast too and look what happened. And, you know, I think just from a pure talent standpoint, Ryan Holinsky is a more talented quarterback than Jake Bentley is. I mean, we've already seen Ryan Holinsky go on the road and lead his team to a win over the number three team in the country. So, which was something Jake Bentley was incapable of doing his entire career. So, I think the trajectory is good with Ryan Holinsky at quarterback under center. I think we need to obviously continue to see him make progression or, you know, make progress and take steps, uh, continue to, to develop. You know, that's the last thing you want to see. And I think that's the biggest gripe everybody had with Jake Bentley. And I would say the biggest problem in Jake Bentley's career, he never got better. I mean, that, that's the thing. He just never got better. So, Ryan Holinsky obviously needs to continue to develop. You see the pieces are there. You see the potential. Now he needs to continue to develop, get better, um, and be the quarterback that I think we all know he can be. Uh, but, yeah, really good question, Jonathan. Appreciate you calling in. Hey, what's up, Chris? Uh, I guess I kind of just wanted to call in and talk about maybe a little about the future of the South Carolina program. I kind of want to see where your head was at about the ups and downs they had this season you know, and over the past two weeks. How do you, do you still think this program, the football program, is on the decline or on the uprise? You know, uh, these past two weeks have really uh, showed a lot about what this Carolina team should be able to do week in and week out, able to compete and beat uh, uh, the top ten teams. Is something that we as a Carolina fan just want to see us do, you know, be able to come in and compete. I really do think next year is really going to be our year, though. I mean, the schedule is a lot more favorable. Um, on offense, you know, Holinsky will be a year older, and you'll lose Dowdle and Easter, but you have Kevin Harris and Marshawn Lloyd coming in, so I think the run back position will be fine. You do lose Edwards. Uh, Shot Smith, I don't think, is having a big enough a season to really go anywhere, so I think we'll have Shy Trey and Josh Van. So I really think that offense really shouldn't take that big much of a step down. I mean, as far as the performing next year. I mean, it probably will go up a little bit with him. Let's keep becoming more mature. And the defense, you do lose Ken Law and um, Wanham and, and Brunson. But as far as the secondary, I mean, they're young. I mean, everybody's in the secondary, I think, is coming back for at least a year, maybe two more years. And that you still got Zach Pickens and Aaron Stone that the line. So I really think next year will be our year. I think the toughest game we have is at LSU. Now, we don't know how good LSU is going to be because of Joe Burrow leaving and some of the offensive talent they have leaving. So, Nick, I, I'm really uh, excited for this future. I think we all on the uprise. I just want to kind of get your take. What do you think? What's going to happen? Do you think Will Muschamp is leading the Gamecocks in the right direction? Or do you still think that we're still that one coach away from being that top-tier team as far as competing for the SEC title? Of year? All right, uh, thank you uh, for your show. And I just wanted to call in and give my uh, feedback. Hey, appreciate the voicemail, man. Thank you so much. That was that was a very good voicemail. Very well thought out. <clears throat> very well thought out, and obviously he's looking ahead to the future of Gamecock football. You actually broke it down very, very well, so I appreciate, appreciate it. But, uh, you know, I think the Gamecock football program right now is on a, you know, it's, it's on a good trajectory. You're getting better. We're seeing that progress we talked about. But a game like Tennessee is really going to define that. You know what I mean? Like, you go out there, you handle your business, do what you're supposed to do, beat Tennessee, you know, get back to winning ways. You know, we're seeing that progress. That's the type of win you got to have. Really, you need to win the next three. You do. You need to win the next three, get yourself to bowl eligibility. Um, you know, I think anything less than a bowl game this season is a step backwards. 
as far as progress of a program. You know, obviously this has been a crazy season. Um, you lose to UNC to open it up. I mean, you know, I, I'm still – let me just put it this way. This is such a week-to-week game. And, I mean, here's the thing. You asked me, do I think that we're still that one coach away? I don't really – I mean, I'm still on the side of I don't really – think I don't know or really think that Will Muschamp's that guy to you know bring this program to win in 10 11 games a year going to Atlanta like is he that guy really I don't think so I I still don't think he is I'd love to see him prove me wrong obviously but if nothing else if nothing else Will Muschamp needs to leave this program better than he found it I think Will Muschamp can get this program to a 7-8 win type program, maybe the occasional nine win season. Who knows? Maybe you catch lightning in a bottle and Ryan Holinsky goes off one year and you win 10 games. I don't know. But, you know, as far as just the overall trajectory of the program, you know, I think you're bringing in more talent. You know, they're getting better. You know, we're finally starting to see it on the field, which again is all the fans asked for. And it's not an unreasonable thing. You know, when are we going to get that big signature win? You know, when are we going to start playing better in these big games against, you know, highly ranked competition and I mean you go on the road and you beat Georgia and really get that signature win that you had to have and then you play a Florida team that I mean god you were leading 20 to 17 going into that football or going to the fourth quarter you had every chance to win I think you saw a South Carolina team you know even with the loss you can say in the loss it's like dang the Gamecocks showed up in a big game and played I mean went toe-to-toe went toe-to-toe with the number what nine team in the country or whatever they were ranked so um you know, I think we're seeing that progress. Again, I think we're seeing that progress. But a game like Tennessee is one of those that can swing the pendulum either way. And you, it's a game you just simply need to win, have to win, to continue to make progress in this program and what you're building at South Carolina. So, great question, man. Appreciate the voicemails, guys. Let's get into these listener questions really quickly. Uh, ben Smitty, 2017, asked, what's the biggest weakness on our team? That's a really good question. Just overall weakness? Uh man. Um, I mean, right now, I guess maybe the passing game. I I, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, you know what? I, I've been surprised how big of a weakness kind of like the wide receiver position has been. Because I mean, outside of Edwards and I mean, Shy really hasn't had a great year at all. I mean, Brian's obviously doing his thing, but also, where in the world has Ortray Smith been? I mean, we all heard all this talk in the preseason about Ortray Smith. He had the touchdown catch on Saturday, but before that, has been like a ghost. I don't feel like I've even seen him on the field. Um, so, I wish we were a little better at wide receiver, honestly. Um, and then on the defensive side, you know, I, I think we've been pretty good at all three levels. I mean, I, I know I've had my criticisms of the secondary. and You know, <clears throat> I still think they should be better than they are. You know, safety, I would say safety is a, a weakness on this team, for sure. Safety is a weakness, a, a position that South Carolina needs to find help and find it quickly. Um, so, yeah, those are my two biggest concern areas on offense, wide receiver, defense safety uh matt pack underscore aha any more information on the recruiting violation yeah no no postseason ban no bowl ban um the gamecocks got you know slapped on the wrist as far as you know other recruiting stuff they can or can't do but as far as you know stuff that's really really felt and that fans would notice nothing significant thank god so that's the that's the big kicker no postseason ban no bowl ban no nothing so we're we're, we're good um jay roland realtor why do we not play joiner more that's a great question. I think you need to use him. He's a dynamic playmaker. He's a, dyna- he's a dynamic guy behind center. Like I said, if you can't get the passing game going, 
just throw him out there for a series at least. Let's just mix it up a little bit, see if we can't spark the offense. I mean, I think even if, even when Ryan's out there, like let's get creative with it and get him on the field and, you know, kind of make teams think a little bit. I, I, I like the idea of him. He's, he's a dynamic athlete. We know what he can do with his legs. You know, I thought he played okay when he filled in in Athens. You know, I, he did well enough to obviously hold uh, or keep this South Carolina offense sort of moving, burn clock, and obviously secure the win. But, um, you know, I, you know, I'd love to see him on the field. I don't know why he didn't get out there against Florida, but I'd love to see him get out on the field this weekend. Uh, let's see. On the goal line, is there any chance South Carolina <clears> – is there any chance South Carolina can be a top-10 team in the next three years? Be realistic, fam. <laughs> uh, I don't think they'll be a top-10 team. You know, I, I just – like I said, until I'm until I see different, I, I just don't think that Will Muschamp is the kind. He's not Nick Saban. He's not Dabo Sweeney. He's I, I just don't see him leading South Carolina to, you know, winning 10, 11 games a year. And because that, that's what you pretty much have to do to be a top ten team, you're gonna have to win double digit games. Um, so I'm gonna say no right now. Hopefully I'm wrong. That's all I'll say. Hopefully I'm wrong. Twenty dot cam dot twenty thoughts on Kinlaw going into the Tennessee game. He's a freak. He's a beast. I expect him to have a huge game and a huge rest of the year. He's going to have a very nice payday coming up next April. Uh, Peyton Muller, 16. Run the ball and throw high-percentage passes to get Ryan in rhythm. Agree 100%. Could not agree more. I expect them to do that, have some short intermediate throws early. Then you can take those deep shots once he's built up some confidence. The one thing I want to see Ryan Helensky do in the passing game, especially on the deep throws, is I know you want to lead your guy, and you obviously don't want to throw a pick. But give your guy a chance to catch it. You know, that's the biggest thing. Like, you know, I understand lead him out there and maybe that first or that, you know, the first couple you'd be like, at some point you've just got to give. I mean, if you're throwing a deep ball to Brian Edwards, I know you want to hit him in the bread basket and hit him in stride, but like, dude, don't, like, don't overthrow him. Like, let him try to go up and catch it. Let him try to make a play. You know what I mean? Because, you know, Brian Edwards is going to get his payday in April too. And it's like, this guy's a very capable wide receiver. Like, Again, I don't want him to throw a pick or make a just a blatantly bad throw, but like at some point you got to give your dude a chance to catch it. So I'd like to see Ryan Helensky do that this weekend. But yes, I agree. Get the running game going. Get those short passes going. I think it'll open up a lot more downfield stuff. Um, let's see, Shelby underscore Disjarless. I'm probably saying that wrong. What do you predict the score will be? Tune in tomorrow. I'll have the full score prediction. Tune in tomorrow. Seriously. Uh, Flim 2001, this is a must to have any shot at a bowl invite. 100% agree. You got to win this one. You got to win this one because what are you right now? You're three, and, you're three and four. You know, you win this one. You're four and four. You got Vandy, App State coming up, which, again, I know those are two scary games. But, I mean, hell, Vandy is 730 kick at Williams-Brice. I chalk, I chalk that as a dub right now. And then App State, I know they're ranked, but you still probably should feel like you should win that game. There's your six wins. You know, there's your six wins right there. So, yeah, I definitely think, uh, you know, this, but you've got to have this one. You've got to have this one. Because if you don't get this one, you've either got to go on the road and beat A&M or beat Clemson at home. It's not very easy. doesn't get any easier. We'll say that. So, yeah, I, I agree. You 100% have to have this one to go to a bowl game. Um, all right, that'll do it. That'll do it. That's all the listener questions. Appreciate that, guys. All right, got a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks offensive lineman. Kyle Nunn, for those who don't know, Kyle Nunn playing during, played during the Spurrier era, played on some of the best teams in school history, um, was a monumental part of the offensive line that helped block for Marcus Lattimore 
So obviously all of his stories are great, fantastic interview. It's all brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. I already talked about them earlier in the show, but SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far, the only one I use, the only one I recommend, guys. SeatGeek's awesome, period, point blank. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $20 off your first purchase. Guys, it's a no-brainer. You're going to Knoxville, you're going to College Station, you're coming to any of the home games the rest of the season. Why not use a Gamecock promo code to get in a Gamecock football game and save money or save money in the process? I mean, the tickets for one aren't really that crazy expensive, but imagine you're going to South Carolina Vanderbilt for homecoming or App State or Clemson and you know the tickets are around 60 bucks. Knock off $20, pay 40 bucks, take that 20 bucks, go spend it somewhere else, go put some gas in your gas tank, go to the bar, have some drinks, whatever you want to do. But 20 bucks is 20 bucks, man. Like, why not? All you got to do is put in a promo code, spurs up, save $20. Again, I use SeatGeek all the time. I bought all my South Carolina season or my South Carolina football tickets on SeatGeek. Going to do the same thing for basketball. Probably going to do the same thing for baseball. Super simple, super easy. It's, it's the best app by far. It, it, they, you know when you click the buy button, you're getting the best bang for your buck. You're getting a deal. SeatGeek is not going to let you fall in the trap of, you know, you're overpaying. or They tell you up front, hey, this is not a good deal. You shouldn't get these. Hey, this is a great deal for where you're sitting. Take advantage of the deal. So, again, they do all the work for you. Give you that peace of mind before you click the buy button. Again, that's our friends over at SeatGeek. So, again, you need tickets to South Carolina Gamecock sporting events, NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, concerts, comedy club events, literally anything you can buy tickets to. If you need a ticket to it, why not save some money in the process? Go through our, our friends at SeatGeek. So, again, that is the SeatGeek app. Go download it or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks offensive lineman Kyle Nunn. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2007 to 2011. He was part of a Gamecocks offensive line that helped lead the Gamecocks to the 2010 SEC East title. He also spent time in the NFL with the Carolina Panthers and New York Jets and bounced around the Arena League as well. I'm very, very pleased to welcome to the show former Gamecocks offensive lineman Kyle Nunn. Kyle, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Hey, Chris. I appreciate you having me. For sure. So, Kyle, I want to go back to the beginning for you because you are a local kid from Sumter, South Carolina. Played for the Sumter Gamecocks, Sumter High School. Uh, Three-star prospect out of there. Just kind of talk about, uh, I know you were considering North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and obviously South Carolina, but you went with the Gamecocks. Just kind of talk about your recruiting process and, you know, why eventually for you, you decided that South Carolina was the best spot for you. Well, you know, I started out and I was actually committed to Virginia Tech my sophomore year of high school. Um, I actually, you know, visited a couple other places. I committed early um, because Virginia Tech was kind of where I wanted to be. Um, being that, uh, you know, I went to a couple other places after committing to Virginia Tech. They started getting pretty upset about, uh, you know, me visiting South Carolina to go watch the SEC matchup. I watched South Carolina, uh, Tennessee, and also South Carolina, Georgia my junior year, and they got pretty upset. They actually called my family. and. Uh, my mom in particular made her pretty upset, you know, saying that there was other offensive tackles out there that wanted the position. And, you know, upsetting my mom, you know, being from a small town, yes, I am a mama's boy. Uh, so that probably wasn't the right thing to do. Uh, so I, I went ahead and told them they could have their scholarship and give it to whoever they would like. Uh, and then called Coach Furrier the following week and uh, asked him if he had a spot for me. And Spurrier did not have a spot for me. He already had uh, Quinn Richardson. Mm. Commit. 
uh, Frank Valley, and um, they didn't have room for me, so they made, they made it happen and uh, made room for me so I could have an opportunity there, and I'm really appreciative of that. <clears throat> for sure. So you get on campus South Carolina in 2007, which you you, uh, you redshirt that first year, but you talked about Spurrier. Just kind of talk about because I think it's interesting, Kyle. You know, you got to South Carolina at a really interesting time when he was really – you know, still in the beginning. I mean, you got there it was year three for Spurrier. He's, he's still kind of getting this thing rolling. But just kind of talk about your first interactions with him and, uh, you know, what was that like? I mean, obviously playing for a Hall of Fame head coach. Yeah, so, um, you know, I had the opportunity to play for him, obviously. Um, but, you know, he, he's a perfectionist. Um, you know, early on, um, he's such a perfectionist that actually he went to see me on a game day. A lot of people don't know that I actually played basketball in high school also. Um, but he came on a game day, and that's actually a recruiting violation. Um, I was his first and only reported uh, recruiting violation because he saw me on a day that I had a game uh, for another sport. So he actually reported himself uh, for that violation um, because he was worried about it messing up his career um, season upcoming. Um but yeah, he he's a great guy, you know. He he comes off as kind of a jerk, but it just it's because he expects perfection, and that's the only thing that he wants. Um, I mean, I could knock somebody on their butt and do a perfect pancake block, and he would tell me how my hand placement wasn't correct, or my footwork wasn't right, or my right step was too long. Um, but it made me appreciate the small things in life. And uh, I learned a lot of responsibility and accountability based off of the things he taught me and the perfection that he expected every day, every play, uh, day in and day out. For sure. So, like I said, Kyle, you get on campus 2007, you redshirt that first year. Um, you know, again, coming in as a three-star recruit, what, what was the biggest transition for you going from high school football to college football? My um, weight. So because I played basketball, uh, I played basketball around 265, uh, but I actually played football around 280, 285 in football season. So I'd fluctuate that 20 pounds. Well, coming off a of basketball season, I was about 265 for the Shrine Bowl. And coming into South Carolina, I think I might have gotten up to 275, 280. And Spurrier expected his lineman to be 300 pounds plus. Well, I was nowhere near it. And uh, that's where the red shirt came from. But uh, even my first start, my sophomore year, my redshirt freshman year, when I started on field goal, I was still only 295, uh, right at 300 pounds. Um, so, yeah. For sure. So, I want to ask you about moving off of Spurrier more to your position coaches. First off, because I know that Eric Wolford was there in 2009 and then Sean Elliott took over. Who was the offensive line coach when you got there in 2007? I, I forgot about that. Uh, John Hunt was actually John the offensive Hunt. line coach. Got you, got you. Got you. Okay. So, I, again, and John Hunt was a good one. Uh, Eric Wolford, which I think is interesting, you played under him, and now he's back at South Carolina. And then Sean Elliott, I know Gamecock fans are really, really, really familiar with him. Uh, obviously, his time at South Carolina, what he did, and then being at Georgia State, being a head coach. Just talk about the impact that those guys had on you, um, you know, with Hunt, Wolford and Sean Elliott, because, again, I think three great offensive line coaches. It seems like three different styles. I mean, it's, I think it's, again, ironic that South Carolina fans are sort of seeing what Eric Wolford's all about and just how good of an offensive line coach he is right now at South Carolina. But just kind of talk about your experience with those three different offensive line coaches. 
Well, of the three, uh, Eric Wolford and I are, you know, the only one, only, he's the only one that keeps up with me. Um, you know, so he texts me every now and then, and I text him, you know, after the game here and there. Um, but, you know, I know Coach Hunt, I mean, Coach Elliott, he's off being a head coach, so I'm sure he's busy and he's got guys to coach up himself. Um, and I'm not really sure what John Hunt's doing anymore. Um, but I even kept in contact with uh, Coach Wolford when he was at San Francisco with the 49ers because that's when I was in camp with the Panthers. And when I was released, I said, hey, Coach, you know, you got an opportunity out there for me. I know you're an assistant offensive line coach out there. Um, and he said, I'd love to have you, but, you know, our spots are full right now. And, and it's an understanding that every NFL player, anybody who dabbles in, in the league, um, you realize that there's a number – a number that they have to fill, and once that number is hit, then uh, they kind of have to stick with what they have until injuries or trades or anything like that come along. Um, but, yeah, so Wolford, he was more of a, a trap guy. Um, Elliot was more of a zone zone read guy, mm. and Hunt was kind of a, a man zone scheme. Mm. Um, so it, it was three different schemes, uh, three different coaching styles, like you said. Um, they were not that any one of them was wrong or being that, you know, only Wolford is the one that's, that's kept up with me the most out of the three. Um, you know, they're all, all great coaches to, to play for. And I was, I was blessed to have, you know, as many of them as I did in that four or five year period. Um, just all, all of the knowledge, the football knowledge that came with having that many coaches in such a short period of time. For sure. So, like I said, 07, you redshirt. 08, you're more of a reserve guy. Didn't play a lot. 09, you really start coming on, competing with Gerald King for uh, playing time at left tackle. You know, played in 10 or 13 games that year. Uh, and then, obviously, 2010 and 2011, made a ton of starts and played a lot of good quality football. Where do you feel like you improved the most from start to finish throughout your college career? Besides, I'd say, just like the size thing, if you will. I would say my redshirt year. Um, my redshirt year, I was on scout team, so I had the honor of blocking the Lindsey Twins as a freshman, uh, the Brinkley brothers as a freshman, uh, Clifton Gethers, a um, bunch of other guys, you know, Nathan Pepper, um, guys that were really doing great things already as juniors and seniors, um, whereas I was just getting uh, used to the speed from high school to college. Um, but once once that was made, and uh, I'd say my first, <laughs> I'd say my first zone right at left tackle with Jasper Brinkley at linebacker. Um, that was that was a welcome to the SEC, I'd say, because you know I was about the same size as him, <laughs> except for about four inches taller, and uh, you know we hit, and it was like a, a small car accident. <laughs> um, because I gave him everything he had, and he was probably just going practice speed. But, um, you know, we both <laughs> both hit the ground. It was pretty pretty big impact. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So I, I want to jump, Kyle, to that 2009 season because, like I said, I feel like that's really, really when you started to come on. Like I said, you and Gerald King, who was a really good one himself, uh, competing for playing time. You played in ten games um, and started seven of the fi final nine games at left tackle. Um, I thought it was interesting that I was taking a look. Your first playing time of that 2009 season came against Ole Miss, and then you moved in the starting lineup the next week against South Carolina State. But that Ole Miss game, I mean, your first time playing that season, 
Um, and we obviously know, I mean, anybody that follows South Carolina football knows about the 2009 season. You can't talk about it without, without talking about that old Miss game Thursday night, taking down the number four ranked team in the country. Just kind of talk about, you know, that night for you, especially personally, like finally getting your, your playing time, if you will, and then it coming in such a huge game for the South Carolina program. Well, that was the loudest I ever heard Williams Bryce uh, ever in my career. Um, so that was pretty awesome. Uh, also, I was blocking a guy named Greg Hardy who went on to the NFL and did what he did. Um, and there was another, uh, I think it was Dontrell Poe at defensive tackle. Um, two guys that also, another guy that also went to the NFL. Um, but just being there and getting the opportunity to play in front of my, my hometown, I say my hometown. Uh, Sumter is about 45 minutes away. Mm. I'm still with our, you know, fellow fellow Sumter friends and family. Um, so being able to play in front of them on such a big stage, and it being an SEC, uh, SEC ESPN game, <clears throat> being on a nationally televised stage was awesome. Um, just to be able to be a part of that um, was awesome. For sure. So, Kyle, I want to ask you really quickly, sort of a, uh, a random question, if you will, just about the offensive line position, because I know it's a position that obviously does not get the praise or probably even the credit that it deserves. But I think it's funny. I always tell people that, you know, because, I mean, even I do this, but people that analyze or talk football, it's really hard to talk about the offensive line position if you not have not been in the trenches there before and played it. Like, we can all act like we know what we're saying and this guy's not doing this. But I know probably as someone like you, like you're, you're going to know the inner workings of an offensive line so much more than somebody who's just kind of seeing it from, you know, the stands or field level or whatever. Uh, you know, is there any merit to my opinion there as far as like, I just feel like offensive line play is such a complex thing that people think it's so simple, but it really is complex and know all the inner workings of, because, I mean, a play can be blown up if just one little thing is off. And it's, it's five guys that the unit's really got to work together. Yeah, and offensive linemen generally aren't noticed unless they do something wrong or <laughs> they do something right and they knock somebody out that busts a big run or um, they hold their block with one hand or do something crazy. Um, I think offensive linemen are the only people that understand offensive line as a whole, um, because unless you've been in the trenches and you've done 50, 60 plays, running into a guy that's comparatively your size and a little bit faster than you most of the time, mm. um, you don't really understand and you don't get any credit, um, which is it's not a bad thing because as offensive linemen, I like to not be noticed. Um, as long as I wasn't getting a false start or holding penalty or giving up a sack, I was okay. Um, you know, I was trying to execute my plays as well as I could. Um, but as long as my quarterback was safe and I wasn't getting noticed uh, by the referee calling out my number, um, that's kind of how I liked it to be. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like if you're not noticed as an offensive lineman, you're doing your job. That's pretty much how what it comes yeah. down to. Yes, <laughs> yes sir. For sure. So, uh, I, I want to ask you about uh, you being a South Carolina kid, the Carolina-Clemson rivalry, because uh, obviously, you know, your first two years against those guys didn't go the way you wanted, but you were part of the team that started the five five wins in a row against Clemson. You went uh, three and two against them, had a winning record again in nine, ten, and eleven. You beat those guys. Just talk about what the South Carolina-Clemson rivalry means to you again, growing up in Sumter, South Carolina, and obviously playing for the Gamecocks, actually playing in the rivalry. 
what what does that rivalry mean to you now? Um, well, it's amazing. Um, the fact that I could tell my, my friends and um, even I have a former teammate, uh, Roger McDowell, he ended up going to Clemson as a running back from Sumter High School. Um, just being able to tell them, hey, you know, when I was in the game, we never lost. <laughs> so um, that's, that's something that I take pride in. And, you know, every I root for Clemson. Um, not against South Carolina, obviously, but if they're playing Auburn or they're playing another SEC opponent, I want them to win. They're an in-state school. Um, I like Dabo Sweeney. I know a lot of fans aren't going to like to hear that. But I like Dabo, Dabo Sweeney as a person, and he was a great recruiter in high school. And if they had a little bit better of an offensive line coach, I probably would have went there. But uh, he moved a fifth-year senior that was All-American, uh, Richardson. They moved his name off of the list and uh, moved my name up like I was going to start as a true freshman at 285, if that. Um, and it was just a little bit unbelievable. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that that uh, that rivalry is intense. And you see stickers, you see you see Clemson paws, and you see Carolina uh, block C's on the back of everybody's uh, window. And you hear them talking about it all year long. Um, being from Sumter, so close to uh, Columbia, you know, you hear about it year round. If your team loses, you know, they're sorry until the next. Uh, until the next season. <laughs> so um, a lot of the out-of-state guys, if they weren't from uh, South Carolina, they didn't take it as serious. But they also um, they understood because the guys from in-state would help them understand how serious it was for us to win that game. Which of the three would you say was your favorite of the wins you got over Clemson, 09, 10, or 11? I would say at Clemson. Um, there was a play or two where uh, me and a couple of their defensive linemen were face-to-face um, after the play, and, and there was a few words exchanged here and there. Um, but I would say the one at Clemson was, was my favorite. I think it was 09, my first year playing in the, the rivalry, 2010, I believe. The 2010 game. It was the 10 game. Oh, 2010, yeah. So 2010 at Clemson, having – those people who traveled from Sumter up to Clemson come on the field after the game, give me hugs and take pictures. That was awesome. For sure. So, you know, we already talked a little bit about offensive line play. I want to ask you, when you have a guy like Marcus Lattimore toting the rock, how much easier does it make the life of an offensive lineman? Well, I mean, we had a good running back in Kenny Miles before Lattimore, um, but having Lattimore definitely definitely was a, a – a big plus. Um, a lot of the guys, I'd say six out of the five from Marcus's freshman year went to the NFL. Um, so, I, I mean, 80% of your yards are untouched. It makes you look good. Um, so, not taking anything away from Marcus because he had great plays and he made us look great uh, when we made mistakes. There was plays where I would make a fault and he would make it right because he would make the right decision to hit the right hole and to keep those legs moving. Um, it was awesome having a guy like that in the backfield. I was actually very honored to have blocked for a guy who made the Hall of Fame mm. um, this past week. He just mm. got inducted to the USC Hall of Fame, and that's awesome. Yeah, it, it feels like that's that's one of those awards that is a, a team award, or if nothing else, I mean, you always see running backs taking care of their offensive line because obviously, like you're saying, I mean, as great as these backs are, if you don't have a good offensive line, you know, 
no bat can run through that. So for sure. But so like, like I said, Kyle, you got to South Carolina at a very interesting time. You know, Spurrier was sort of still building this thing. And you obviously saw the culmination of, you know, what that was when you got to the 2010 season. You guys obviously go on, win the SEC East title. Going into 2010, did, did you feel – did you feel that coming as far as, like, you kind of felt like you guys were about to break out? Was that something you expected and sort of saw happening in 2010? Well, I've got a story that um, not many people know about. The people who are close to me do know about. Um, but there were some kids from Lawrence Manning Academy that I was mentoring, uh, Cody and Jesse Parnell. And they uh, – one was a linebacker, and I believe the other was a wide receiver. And they were having some trouble – uh, with playing time, they weren't getting as much playing time as they thought they should. Well, um, that year, um, right before the season started, the boys, they told me that we were going to go to the SEC championship and we were going to beat Florida to win the SEC or to win the SEC East. A couple of weeks later, those boys died in a car accident and uh, actually didn't make it to that season to see us do what they said was going to happen. Um, so it was kind of surreal for me to be able to be a part of that winning at Florida, um, to win the East and to do exactly what they said we were going to do. Um, it was really a big, uh, a big wow, um, for me, um, very, very personal. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy. So that's, uh, it kind of brings me to my next point as far as that 2010 season, because ironically we're talking the day before the Florida game, and like you mentioned, uh, you guys went down to the swamp and beat Florida to to capture the SEC East title. Just, again, Marcus Lattimore had a great game. You guys on the offensive line, I mean, you guys had an offense, offensive line had a great 2010 in general. But uh, that, that game, I, you know, I think Lattimore – or I think Lattimore rushed for, what, 220 or something, some crazy number. Um, obviously had a bunch – yeah, one of the plays I remember vividly, and I think you're, you're. I think I remember vividly you in the highlight, the one where he gets stuffed, he gets stood up at like the four yard line, and you feel see like the entire offensive line come over and push him in. But j- just talk about that night for you again. Obviously, with the personal stuff you just mentioned, but I mean, you guys as a team, as an offensive line, as a as a running game, being able to really clinch that game and ice that game and lock down a trip to Atlanta. Well, you know, being able to gator chomp on the 50 after beating Florida is not something that many people get to do. Um, you know, as an offensive lineman, that play specifically that you're talking about on the goal line, uh, Marcus did get stood up, and uh, me and Garrett Chisholm and uh, Tory Gurley went and gave him that last push to push him into the end zone. And that's something that I'm really proud of, not only as an offensive lineman or a football player, um, but offensive linemen are always told, don't give up on a play. Don't give up on a play. Get downfield. Do what you can. If your running back gets stalled, you need to be able to push forward for that extra yard or two. And that's exactly what we did. Uh, we didn't give up on a play. He got stood up, and we went and just knocked him into the end zone, and um, the rest was history. No doubt. So, moving into that 2011 season, Kyle, obviously you guys coming off, I know it didn't end the way you wanted, obviously going to Atlanta, but – I feel like you guys set sort of a new expectation, if you will. Um, you know, South Carolina had gotten to Atlanta. You guys sort of tasted it. Now you wanted the whole thing. Again, I know the 2011 season did not go the way as a team that you guys wanted or fans wanted. And then obviously you personally, which I'm going to get to in just a second with the uh, the injuries and the health stuff. But being on the first ever South Carolina team that had won 11 games, I mean – Talk about what that meant in the moment. And then now for you looking back, you know, to know that you were on that, 
you know, it's been it, – it, it got done after you left in 12 and 13, but to know that you were on that first ever USC team to ever win 11 games in a season, I mean, what, what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a great accomplishment, obviously, for the team. Uh, we all came together and did what we had to do to win. Um, you know, but also um, 11 wins and not winning the SEC East makes you feel like you've fallen short. Um, so the year that we won less games, we actually got to go to the SEC championship. And uh, the year that I felt like we were the most deserving, we didn't get an opportunity. Um, so, yeah, I feel like we missed a couple chances at SEC championship games while I was there. Um, my redshirt freshman year, I believe we won six straight and then we lost six straight. Um, that was a year that I thought we were going to have a chance to go with the Brinkley brothers and that crew, uh, Captain Munnerlyn, those guys. Um, but I mean, it was an awesome accomplishment to do something that had never been done before. Um, but we still felt like we should have done a little bit more. Like we had a chance to go to the national championship or, uh, make a show in the FPC championship. For sure. So I, I want to talk about you specifically, Kyle, you know, obviously, uh, you battled some injuries during your South Carolina career, battled a back injury. But in 2011, you know, you started the first four games of the season, sat out through with that back injury, and then news came out that you would be out for the rest of the year with, for, for a uh, blood clot in your leg. Um, just mm-hmm. ca- kind of talk about, you know, finding out that news and then to have your final year kind of taken from you in that manner. Um, I mean, what, what, was, what was going through your mind when you found that out? Well, initially, uh, we were going to try for another year. Um, and then I guess something something to do with my paperwork not being sent to the NCAA for another year. Um, I found out about two weeks before the Capital One Bowl that I was either going to play in that game or a chance not playing in that game to get another season. Um, but the only thing I knew that was guaranteed was being able to play in that game. Um, and that was seven weeks after back surgery. So I did a lot of rehab uh, up until that point as far as, you know, physical therapy, being in there with Clint. I think Clint's still there. Um, he did an amazing job with, with, re- with the recovery. Uh, Dr. Brigham up at Ortho Carolina did a great job on my back surgery. Um, but, yeah, it was a lot of work. And uh, being all SEC in that bowl game after coming off of back surgery uh, was kind of a, a big a big welcome back and that I could actually do it and keep going. And I felt like, you know, my, my career was going in the right direction uh, after playing so well after having back surgery seven weeks prior. Um, but no NFL teams really wanted to give me a shot after that. For sure. So, and that makes me want to move into your professional career. Because, like I said, Kyle, you know, you bounced around. Obviously, you were with the Panthers, the Jets. You did the Arena arena League thing. You know, when you look yeah. back on your professional career as a whole, um, what are your biggest takeaways from it? Um, once you leave college, it becomes a uh, profession. And with a profession, there's business. Um, so, I'd say the biggest takeaway is uh, – when you're competing with somebody who has a movie when you're with the Panthers and you're competing with a first round draft pick, uh, business and politics really does um, play a part in who they select to go forward for the 53 man roster. Mm. Um, also, if you have a surgery um, on your record in college, you have a lesser chance of getting picked up because 
you have a new guy coming out of college that hasn't had a surgery every year. Um, so it really kind of, uh, it's an eye opener. Um, arena football, we had guys traded for chip sponsorships. Um, so, um, we actually had a guy get traded for a Frito-Lay sponsor, um, wow. <laughs> playing arena football. And, uh, you know, a lot of times those arena guys don't even get paid. Um, you know, this past season, uh, the Carolina Havoc, the team that I was going to be with this year, um, you know, a lot of those guys didn't get paid a dime and they went all the way to the championship game. Um, so it's, it's interesting and it is very, uh, political and businesslike. Um, but all I can say for those trying to make themselves a career in the professional league is just keep trying, keep your head up, keep working, um, because you never know what could happen. Um, when I was picked up in 2015 by the Panthers, um, I was actually boxing and I wasn't trying to play football anymore. And uh, I ran a 4.740 at 2.90, and uh, Panthers called. And that's kind of how that worked out. But, um, yeah. Wow. So, so Kyle, I want to get your take, obviously, you being a proud alum, uh, you know, being on the only team that ever won the SEC East title. But I want to get your take on the current state of Gamecock football. Obviously, South Carolina coming off. You know, one of the biggest wins, I would say, in program history, probably the biggest upset in the history of South Carolina football going into Athens, beating Georgia as huge favor or huge underdogs. Um, just kind of talk about, you know, your thoughts on Will Muschamp, the state of the program, and kind of uh, what your take is on the uh, the current South Carolina Gamecocks football program. Well, I feel like, um, you know, they have an identity now. Um, they have that big win under their belts, and that's kind of what it took for my group to realize, hey, we actually can do this. South Carolina can be a premier program. When we beat someone, uh, I want to say Ole Miss was probably the beginning of our big hello moment. Like, hey, we can, we can actually do this, guys. Um, let's do it week in and week out. And let's expect nothing but um, per- perfection. Like, like Coach Spurrier. But also with that, Coach Spurrier used to say, all right, guys, you know, it's a big win after the game but you've got 24 hours to enjoy it. And then you've got 24 hours to enjoy it with your family. But after that, you know, it's, it's the next game week. You got to focus on that next week and uh, being perfect against them, learning their schemes and what they're good at and how you can uh, keep them from doing what they're good at is what it comes down to. For sure. So Kyle, before I let you go, I want to. Yeah, Kyle, before I let you go, I just want to ask you really quick, uh, obviously a ton to look back on, but when you have uh, when you take a look at your favorite memories at South Carolina, uh, what's the one memory that stands out to you as your favorite memory as a Gamecock? Uh, ooh, that's tough. Um, it would be between beating Georgia uh, at Georgia when, they, uh, when Melvin Ingram had his two or three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was 2011. 11, yeah. Uh, I would say that win or um, God, it would probably be a three-way tie. Ole Miss back when they were number three, uh, Florida at Florida or Georgia at Georgia. Mm-hmm. And then, see, there's Clemson at Clemson. So that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a four-way tie. Um, that, that's a good know, problem Clemson, to have, a lot of memory. I would say Clemson at Clemson. And before they covered up Howard's Rock, I went up there and took a visit to the Rock before the game um, <laughs> that year. Um, some of my teammates know about what happened with that Rock, but uh, <laughs> outside of that, I don't think anybody does. 
(laughs) (laughs) For sure. So one last question before I let you go, Kyle. Obviously, you played for Spurrier. Uh, have had a lot of funny Spurrier stories told on this show. Your favorite, uh, your favorite or funniest Steve Spurrier story that you've got? Oh God, he's got a lot of them. Um, funniest Steve Spurrier moment. Uh, okay, I would say about three years. I was about two years into starting for him. About three, three and a half years uh, into my career. Uh, Coach Spurrier, we're in the meeting room, and he turns and he goes, it was the week after we played Georgia, and we beat him at home. And uh, he goes, geez, Lance, you took out the whole right side of the defensive line. I say, hey, Coach, uh, I'm Kyle. I've been I've been starting for you for two years now. Um, but thank you. Thank you for your first compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you did call me by somebody else's name. I guess Lance was another offensive tackle that played for him down there in Florida. Uh, we played and looked very similar to each other, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I feel Spurrier always had his own names for people. It seemed like he always had the nicknames or the whatever. It's just typical Spurrier. So I was Lance to my teammates for a couple of weeks. After. <laughs> That's awesome. That is but that, so I funny. mean, it's, it's fun. I mean, his memory, he can remember. I'm sure he can still remember. Uh, if I've ever gotten a penalty, you know, what quarter it was, how many minutes were left, and, and that kind of thing. And I really do appreciate it. If you're listening, Coach Spurrier, I appreciate everything that you've done for me. No doubt. Well, Kyle, appreciate you taking the time, man. I know I can speak for all Gamecock fans when I say, you know, it was a pleasure to watch you on the field, your teammates do what you did. I mean, that 2010 SEC East title is something that's still talked about by South Carolina fans and still reminisced on. I know with it being Florida week, obviously, it's always fun to play those highlights in that 2010 game. I think that's most fans' favorite game against the Florida Gators. And obviously, we're hoping for uh, for something similar this Saturday and for South Carolina to get back to Atlanta. But yeah, really appreciate you, man. Like I said, it was a blast to watch you in Garnet and Black and would love to have you back on the show sometime and talk some ball. Awesome. Thank you. Anytime. Absolutely. So for Kyle Nunn, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.